Book Five, Chapter Four of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book Five, Chapter Four. Mater admirabilis. There, there, my good soul, don't blubber. Hysterics won't restore Lady Carmody to health, or bring Sir Richard back to England home and duty, or be a hapeth of profit to yourself or any other created being. Keep your tears for the first funeral, for I tell you plainly I shan't be surprised out of seven days' sleep if this business involves a visit to the churchyard before we get to the other side of it. John Knott stood with his back to the chapel-room fire, his shoulders up to his ears, his hands forced down into the pockets of his riding-breeches. Without, Blackthorn winter held the land in its cheerless grasp. The spring was late. Night frosts obtained, followed by pallid, half-hearted sunshine in the early mornings, too soon obliterated by dreary easterly blight. This afternoon offered exception to the rule only in the additional discomfort of small sleeting rain and a harsh skirling of wind in the eastward-facing casements. Livery weather, the doctor called it, putting down his existing lapse from philosophic tolerance to insufficient secretions of the biliary duct. Before him stood Clara, sometime Dicky Calmady's devoted nurse and playfellow, her eyes very bright and moist, the reds and whites of her fresh complexion in lamentable disarray. "'I'd never have believed it of Sir Richard,' she assented chokingly. "'It isn't like him, so pretty as he was in all his little ways, and loving to her ladyship, and civilly behaved to everybody, and careful of hurting anybody's feelings, more so than you'd expect in a young gentleman like him. No, it isn't like him.' In my opinion, he's been got hold of by some designing person who's worked on him to keep him away to serve their own ends. There, I'd never have believed it of him. That I wouldn't. The doctor's massive head sank lower, his massive shoulders rose higher, and his loose lips twisted into a snarling smile. Lord bless you, that's nothing new. We none of us ever do believe it of them when the little beggars are in long clothes, or first breached for that matter. It's a trick of Mother Nature's. A one-idead old lady who cares not a pin for morality, but only for increase. She knows well enough if we did believe it of them, we should clear them off wholesale, along with the blind kittens and puppies. A bucket full of water and broom to keep them under would make for a mighty lessening of subsequent violations of the Decalogue. Don't tell me King Herod was not something of a philanthropist when he got to work on the infant population of Bethlehem. One woman wept for each of the little brats then, but his satanic majesty only knows how many women wouldn't have had cause to weep for each one of them later if they'd been spared to grow up. While speaking, Dr. Knott kept his gaze fixed upon his companion. His humour was none of the gentlest, truly, yet he did not let that obscure the main issue. He had business with Clara, and merely waited till the reds and whites of her comely face should have resumed their more normal relations before pursuing it. He talked as much to afford her opportunity to overcome her emotion as to give relief to his own. 
though now well on the wrong side of sixty john knott was hale and vigorous as ever his rough-hewn countenance bore even closer resemblance perhaps to that of some stone gargoyle carved on cathedral buttress or spout but his hand was no less skilful his tongue no less ready in denunciation of all he reckoned humbug or his heart no less deeply touched for all his superficial irascibility by the pains and sins and grinding miseries of poor humanity than of old that's right now he said approvingly as the heaving of clara's bosom became less pronounced wipe your eyes and keep your nerves steady you've got a head on your shoulders always had well keep it screwed on the right way for you'll need all the common sense that's in it if we're to pull lady carmody through do to begin with this give her food every two hours or so coax her scold her reason with her cry even after all i give you leave to just a little if it will serve your purpose and not make your hand shake only make her take nourishment if you don't wind up the clock regularly some fine morning you'll find the wheels have run down but her ladyship won't have any one sit up with her very well then sleep next door only go in at twelve and two and again between five and six but she won't have anybody occupy the dressing-room it used to be the night nursery you remember sir and not a thing in it has been touched since sir richard moved down to the gun-room wing oh fiddle-dee-dee it's just got to be touched now then i can't be bothered with sentiment when it's ten to one whether i save my patient again sobs rose in clara's throat the poor woman was hard pressed but that fixed gaze from beneath the shaggy eyebrows was upon her and with quaint gurglings she fought down the sobs my lady's as gentle as a lamb she said and i'd give the last drop of my blood for her but talk of managing her of making her do anything as well try to manage the wind she's that set in her ways and obstinate well if you can't manage her who can mr march clara shook her head then reluctantly for though honestly ready to lay down her life for her mistress she found it far from easy to invite supersession in respect of her she said miss st quentin's more likely to get round my lady than any one else well then i'll talk to her where is miss st quentin oh here dr knott do you want me honoria had strolled into the room from the stairhead her attention arrested by the all too familiar sound since sorrowful happenings often of late had brought him to brockhurst of the doctor's voice the skirt of the young lady's habit gathered up in her left hand displayed a slightly unconventional length of muddy riding-boot the said skirt her tan covert coat and slouched felt hat were furred with wet her garments indeed showed evident traces of hard service and though notably well cut were far from new or smart they were sad coloured moreover as is the fashion of garments designed for work and this weather-stained mud-bespattered costume taken in connection with her pale sensitive face and her gallant bearing and the luminous smile with which she greeted not only dr knott but the slightly flustered clara offered a picture pensive in tone but very harmonious and of a singularly sincere and restful quality 
to all indeed save those troubled by an accusing conscience and fear of detection honoria st quentin's presence brought a sense of security and reassurance at this period of her development her enthusiasms remained to her but they were tempered by a wider experience and a larger charity at least in the majority of cases oh, i'm in a beastly mess she observed casually mm, so are we not answered he had a great liking for this young lady finding in her a certain stoicism along with a quickness of practical help but our mess is worse than yours in that it is internal rather than external yours will brush off oh not so ours eh clara there you can go i'll talk things over with miss st quentin and she'll talk em over with you later honoria's expression had grown anxious she spoke in a lower tone of voice is lady carmody worse oh in a sense yes simply because she's no better and she's ill i tell you just as dangerously ill as any woman can be who has nothing whatever actually the matter with her oh, except an only son put in honoria i'm beginning to suspect that is about the most deadly disease going the only thing to be said in its favour is that it is not infectious john knott could not quite keep admiration from his eyes or provocation from his tongue he richly enjoyed getting a rise out of miss st quentin i'm not so sure of that he said in the case of beautiful women judging by history it has shown a tendency to be recurrently sporadic in any case recommend all such to spend a few months at brockhurst then under existing circumstances honoria answered there will be very little fear for them after that they will have received such a warning swallowed such an antidote it is like assisting at the infliction of slow torture it almost gets on one's brain at times why do you stay on then honoria looked down at her muddy boots and then across at the doctor she was slightly the taller of the two for in these days his figure had fallen together and he'd taken to stooping her expression had a delightful touch of self-depreciation oh, why does anyone stay by a sinking ship or volunteer for a forlorn hope why do you sit up all night with a case of confluent smallpox or suck away the poisonous membrane from a diphtheric throat as i hear you did only last week i don't know just because if we're made on certain lines we have to i suppose one would be a trifle too much ashamed to be seen in one's own company afterwards if one deserted it really requires less pluck to stick than to run that's the reason probably but about dear lady carmody the excellent clara was in tears is there any fresh mischief over and above the only son no not at present but it's an open question how soon there may be oh good day mr march been riding ought to be a bit careful of that cranky chest of yours in this confounded weather lady calmedy oh yes as i was telling miss st quentin her strength is so reduced that complications may arise any day a chill and her lungs may go a shock and her heart it comes to a mere question of the point of least resistance i won't guarantee the continued soundness of any organ unless we get changed conditions a let-up of some sort 
the doctor looked up from under his eyebrows first at honoria and then at julius he spoke bitterly defiant of his inclination towards tenderness she's just worn herself out he said that's the fact in the service of others loving giving attempting the impossible in the way of goodness all round be not righteous over much there's a text to that effect in the scriptures mr march isn't there preach a good rattling sermon on it next sunday to lady carmody if you want to keep her here a bit longer nature abhors a vacuum granted but nature abhors excess even of virtue and punishes it just as harshly as an excess of vice yes i tell you she's worn herself out miss st quentin dropped into a chair and sat bowed together her hands on her knees her feet rather far apart the brim of her hat pulled down in front to let the rain run off partially concealed her face she was not sorry for a movement of defective courage was upon her evidence of which she preferred to keep to herself julius march remained silent and this she resented slightly for she badly wanted somebody to say something either vindictive or consolatory and then indignation getting the better alike of reticence and charity she exclaimed oh, it's unpardonable it ought to be impossible one person should have power to kill another by inches like this with impunity ludovic quayle had sauntered into the room behind julius march he too was wet and dirty but such trifles in no wise affected the completeness of his urbanity his long neck directed forward as in polite inquiry he advanced to the little group by the fire and took up his station beside honoria's chair oh, pardon me my dear miss st quentin he asked sweetly oh but why the allusions to murder what is unpardonable sir richard carmody's conduct she answered shortly she threw back her head and addressed dr knott it's so detestably unjust what possible quarrel has he with her after all oh that oh, that lies very deep a thing perhaps only a man or a mother can quite comprehend the doctor answered slowly honoria's straight eyebrows drew together she objected to extenuating circumstances in this connection yet as she admitted reason usually underlay all dr knott's statements she divined moreover that reason just now touched upon matters inconveniently intimate she abstained therefore from protest or comment but since feminine emotion even in the least weakly of the sex is bound to find an outlet she turned upon poor mr quayle he's your friend she said the rest of us are helpless you ought to take measures you ought to suggest a remedy oh, with all the pleasure in life the young man answered but you may remember that you delivered yourself of precisely the same sentiments a year and a half ago and that fired with the ardour of a chivalrous obedience i fled over the face of the european continent in hot pursuit of poor dear dicky carmody poor dear ejaculated honoria yes very much poor dear through it all the young man affirmed breathless but still obedient i came up with him at odessa what was he doing there put in the doctor mr quayle regarded him not without humour really i'm not 
not my friend's keeper though miss st quentin is pleased to make me a handsome present of that enviable office and so well i didn't inquire what he was doing but to tell the truth i had not much opportunity for though i found him charming yes charming miss st quentin i also found him wholly unapproachable regarding family affairs when with a diplomatic ingenuity upon which i cannot but congratulate myself i suggested the advisability of a return to brockhurst in the civilest way in the world he showed me the door impertinence is not my forte i am by nature humble-minded but i give you my word that was a little episode of which i do not crave the repetition growling to himself and clasping his hands behind his back john knott shifted his position then taken with that desire of clergy baiting which would seem to be inheritant in members of the faculty he addressed julius march come now he said your pupil doesn't do you an overwhelming amount of credit it must be admitted still you ought to be able to give an expert's opinion upon the tendencies of his character how much longer do you allow him before he grows tired of filling his belly with the husks the swine eat god knows not i julius answered sadly but without rancour i confess to the faithlessness of despair at times and yet being his mother's son he cannot but tire of it eventually and when he does so the revulsion will be final the restoration complete oh he'll die the death of the righteous oh yes i agree there for there's fine stuff in him never doubt that he'll end well enough only the beginning of that righteous ending if delayed much longer may come a bit too late for the saving of my patient's life and reason do you mean it's as serious as all that ludovic asked with sudden anxiety every bit as serious oh you should have let your sister marry him mr quayle then he would have settled down come into line with the average and been delivered from the morbid sense of outlawry which had been growing on him it couldn't be helped on the whole he's kept very creditably sane in my opinion well growing from the time he began to mix freely in general society i'm not very soft or sickly sentimental at my time of day but i tell you it turns my stomach to think of all he must have gone through poor chap it's a merciless world miss st quentin and no one knows that better than we case-hardened old sinners of doctors yes your sister should have married him and we might have been saved all this i doubted the wisdom of the step at the time but i was a fool i see now his mother's instinct was right mr quayle pursed up his small mouth and gently shrugged his shoulders it is a delicate subject on which to offer an opinion he said i debated it freely in the privacy of my inner consciousness at the time i assure you if lady carmody had lighted upon the right the uniquely right woman perhaps yes but to shore up a twenty-foot stone wall with a wisp of straw my dear doctor does that proceeding approve itself to your common sense and as is a wisp of straw to such a wall so was my poor little sister it's hardly flattering to my family pride to admit it but thus indeed was she and no otherwise to dicky calmady 
whereupon honoria glanced up gratefully at the speaker for even yet her conscience pricked her concerning the part she had played in respect of that broken engagement while john knott observant of that upward glance was once again struck by her manifest sincerity and the gallant grace of her heightened by those workmanlike and mud-bespattered garments and being so struck he was once again tempted by and once again yielded himself to the pleasures of provocation marry him yourself miss st quentin he growled a touch of earnest behind his raillery marry him yourself and so set the rest of us free of the whole pother i'd back you to handle him or any feller living with mighty great success if you'd the mind to for a moment it seemed open to question whether that very fair fish might not make short work of angler as well as of bait but honoria relented refusing provocation and this not wholly in mercy to the speaker but because it offered her an opportunity of reading mr quayle a perhaps useful lesson her serious eyes narrowed and her upper lip shortened into a delightful smile oh hopeless dr knott she answered to begin with he'll never ask me since we like each other very royally ill and to end with she carefully avoided sight of mr quayle i you see i'm not what you call a marrying man end of chapter four of book five